So Romans 5, 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his own son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, family. And Merry Christmas. Thank you. Well, it's Christmas week. Can you believe it? Everybody got their shopping done? <laughs> I think before we start, we need to remember Natalie and her family with the tragic loss of Bob yesterday. So let's take a moment and just lift that family up in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this Christmas season that you gave us a precious gift. You gave us a savior that would redeem us from our sin and give us the promise for those that know him of eternal life. The events of this past week of yesterday just focuses on the reality that life is short and our days are appointed by you before we have yet one. And after that comes the judgment. But if we are in Christ, that debt is paid. So Father, this day, as we celebrate Christmas, we also mourn for Natalie and her family. We ask that you would uh, comfort us all, but especially the fishers at this time. And may they sense a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of this tragedy. And then may they be comforted as only you can comfort. And may they sense your presence very near to them. And may they just walk this trail and realize that better days will come and that someday, someday there'll be no more tears and no more sorrow, no more, no, no more pain and no more suffering. <clears throat> so as we rejoice in the gift of our Savior, we lift them up to you in a special way this day. We pray these things in our dear Savior's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are, uh, make sure this little thing's working. This is part four of our Advent series that we do every year. And in your bulletin, you will notice, if you, if you haven't already read it the last four weeks, why we here at 
Oak Grove celebrate Advent. Now it's just a special time um, as we look at God's goodness to us and the way he expressed that goodness. I'm getting, Garrick, I'm getting a really bad feedback. There we go. That's a little better. Still getting it. <clears throat> and I'm not working here. All right, let's try that. There we go. If um, you think back four weeks already, if you can believe that, um, Glenn started us off on the Advent series talking about love, God's love for us, and how we might not experience that love because of the sin in our lives and walking away from him. And nevertheless, he still loves us. He loves us unconditionally. And that's obviously why he sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, to be born in that manger so many years ago, and that he would grow and um, lead a sinless life, and to the point that he would go to the cross and die, the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jerry followed that up with a seven-part message, can you believe that, on hope, and he gave us a great outline of the reasons that we have hope, um, in this life for a eternity with the Lord. And then Weston last week brought a message, a wonderful message on joy. And um, then he went, he and Gabby and their family went through a tumultuous week with their daughter and by God's grace, um, she is doing really well, right Mary, this morning? And are they home? They're home? Okay. Yeah, so we're just rejoicing in that. And so today I'm following it up with um, the last part of the Advent series on peace. <clears throat> peace is part of the Christmas story. And um, when our kids were proclaiming the celebration of the birth of our Savior, the angels proclaimed, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men in whom he is well pleased. And so it's just very much a part of the whole Advent season, the concept that God is bringing peace to the world. And yet, obviously, as we look around, we don't see a lot of peace anywhere. <clears throat> but we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning quickly and take a look at what the Lord's meaning. If you look at the scriptures, and I got this from Bible Online, uh, we need to know kind of what the scripture's talking about. And it basically, there's a definition that peace means being free of disturbance, and that can be external disturbance or internal turmoil. Um, true peace includes a personal wholeness, feeling not only feeling good, but a, a wholeness within your very soul and your very spirit. Uh, righteousness, a political justice, and a prosperity for all creation. Now that comes from a a whole bunch of the way the term is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's the concept, but for us, we're basically talking about a personal peace that God is going to give to us as a gift of Christmas. Now, <clears throat> does that conjure up the concept of peace? <laughs> Why would anybody celebrate Christmas this way? You know, uh, Poor Walmart, <laughs> just getting inundated. That, that, has anybody experienced that this Christmas, that kind of peace? You know, I, as I was looking at this, I saw some of the pictures that 
And there are people who actually are fighting over Christmas gifts. You know, there's only one left, and I'm going to have it. No, you're not, so we're going to fight over it. You know, it takes it right out of James. They have it, and I want it, so we're going to fight and quarrel over it. But so much of Christmas has become commercialized, hasn't it, in our society? And uh, Joy and I were talking about that concept just coming down this morning. It was sort of like we get all wound up in the joy of giving and the joy of a um, cultural celebration of Christmas. And uh, we forget, oftentimes, in the midst of this kind of chaos, what Christmas is really about and the gifts that God has given to us, which are far more valuable than the gifts that are seen before us. You know, for me, I conjure up a picture of what peace might be like and um, here on Earth, and obviously having an agricultural background kind of thing. I found this picture, and, and um, you know, you can look at that picture and get a sense of serenity and peacefulness. And, and as I looked at that picture, I said, no, nope. and Luke's probably going, I know where he's going with this, that's not a picture of peace. That, look at that horse. That horse is worn out. That guy, that guy has been looking for cows, and he can't find them. There ain't a cow in sight. That is not a peaceful picture. That is, oh. And mom's got dinner waiting. We got guests coming, and I'm supposed to be home. I've laid already, and where, where'd, they, where'd they go? You know. Uh, I share that in a fun kind of way to say this. On the outside, something can become and look peaceful. We can get dressed up this morning and look pretty good. This is the best I'm ever going to look. <laughs> it's, it's good. It ain't great, but it's good, okay? But that doesn't mean there's peace here any more than that serenity-type picture. Serene picture means that that gentleman has experienced peace. I would suspect quite the opposite is true. But the Lord desires something for us, <clears throat> that we would know a deep peace, his gift to us. And so in John 14, we see this verse right here. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Notice what it says carefully there. Pay attention to that. My peace I give to you. This is a gift. The peace we're talking about, what God wants us to experience, is not going to come from the world. It's not going to come from getting the perfect Christmas gift, <clears throat> which you're going to be tired of in three or four years anyway, or two or three months, or the next day. And it's not going to come from accomplishments, and it's not going to come from finding the cows, <clears throat> or the, any of these other things. Glenn, do me, give me a glass of water, please. <clears throat> Sorry about that. <clears throat> um, it's not going to come from that. It's going to come from a gift from God. So how, how does that happen? Well, as you look at this scripture, there's three aspects of the gift of peace. The first is there's going to be a peace with God. The second, there's going to be a peace of God. And third as a result, is going to be peace among men. <clears throat> we try to negotiate peace among men, and it doesn't work. There's just wars and more wars and difficulties and all kinds of things like that. So that's not going to happen. So let's talk about first the peace with God. 
Now notice what he says here. God demonstrates his love toward us. And this is what Luke was reading for us this morning. Thank you very much. What what Luke read for us this morning, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the important aspect here is God died for us in our sinful condition. We did not have to clean up our act to get him to to, uh, accept us. It was an unconditional acceptance of saying, I choose through Jesus Christ to die for you while we're sinners. And then it goes on to say, if you read that whole thing that Luke did for us, while we were yet enemies with God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. While we were enemies. Now, I can't remember who said it, but there was, and it may have been Throw, was questioned about being an enemy with God, this verse. And he said, I don't think God and I have ever quarreled. He didn't recognize the true nature of his own sinful condition. That by nature, we're enemies with God because we're rebellious and we choose to do our own thing rather than being in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that gets us into all kinds of troubles. Rebels are rebellious. All those of us that have raised kids know that rebels are rebellious. And um, I think it was Jerry Boyle one time said, my sin is ever before me in the form of my kids. (laughs) Only Jerry can pull that off, right? So the first aspect of, of this little beautiful little message is that Romans 5, 8 through 10 is making it clear to us, as Paul writes, that God desires peace between you and him, between me and him. And he takes the step by reconciling us to himself through Jesus Christ. And we shall be saved for all eternity by him and by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So that brings us to the next aspect, the peace of God. And our Lord says to us, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. And he's going to go on to say, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. There isn't a single one of us in this room that doesn't know that verse is true. In the world, we are going to have tribulation. And we're going to have tragedies as our family collectively has experienced this past week. We live in a fallen world, and though we may desire to have things go really well, things don't always go really well. The the, um, principle of futility and labor basically part of the curse on man is that thorns and thistles, it's going to grow for you as you labor. My dad had a same, it ought to take a day, it'll probably take two, and most likely three. Because things just go wrong. They just go wrong. And we live in a fallen world. But be of good cheer, he says, because I've overcome the world. Now, he also says, all things work together for good to those that love God and called according to his purposes. 
And that's a really an important concept when things go wrong to recognize that all things are working together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. God is working behind the scenes to accomplish things that we cannot see that are for his good. Quick illustration, a number of years ago, uh, several of the men in this church um, helped me uh, relay a water line because I had an old irrigation water line that was on one side of the creek and part of it was on a ranch that was sold. The new owners didn't want my underground line there, so we had to reroute it. And I had consulted with a friend of mine as a Christian lawyer, and he said, you know, you can take him to court, Steve, and you'll probably win, but it's going to cost you twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do it. And then you're always going to have him in his life, you, you, him in your life. <clears throat> and um, so we decided, we talked to another neighbor, and we reroute our, our, our line, and it cost us about $20,000 to do it, and a lot of the guys here in this church helped us do it. That's been... 15 years, no, 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 10 years ago, maybe. I can't remember exactly how long. Last winter, the creek got out, and that neighbor and my other neighbor didn't have any water. Our wire line was fine. And so we, we had an opportunity to plumb back over into their line and get their line recharged again. God knew all that was going to happen 10 years prior. At the time, it was a really hard decision, but we decided to dig another well instead of fight it, to try to keep peace in the valley instead of fight. Okay, And it cost a lot of money to do that. But down the road, we had water, and our neighbors didn't, and we were able to supply them water. There's things like that that happen all the time in our lives. Are we going to stand up for our own rights, or are we going to say, Lord, what would you have me to do in these different situations? In Genesis, there's a story of Jacob and his sons. Remember that story? He had a son, Joseph, that he favored. And he, made, he got him a coat of many colors. <clears throat> and Joseph's brothers despised him because he was dad's favorite. There's a really lesson here for all of us parents. Don't show favoritism. And to us grandparents, don't show favoritism because it'll sow seeds of bitterness and hatred. And Cain killed Abel for the same thing, bitterness and resentment and jealousy. We cannot go there, you know. We gotta love all of our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids equal as the Lord does. So as our little picture on the um, bulletin shows, um, Joseph got thrown in a pit. <clears throat> they ripped up his coat. They told his dad that lions had eaten him. And Joseph gets sold off into slavery. And then he comes to power, and then there's a famine in the land. And Jacob and his sons have to flee the famine and, and go to Egypt. And there they find that Joseph is in charge. Now, you can imagine how it must be if you'd done that to somebody, then all of a sudden you realize they've got the power over you. But there's a principle in this, and it's called the Genesis 50-20 principle. And it's this. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many alive. One of the things we really need to understand what God is doing behind the scenes that we can't see, that he is working all things together for good. In this case, it kept many alive, even though he had been sold into slavery. But God, in his economy, was moving him into a position to keep many alive. The church sent Joy and I back to the Singh Conference, and while we were back there this summer, we had an opportunity to visit some of my family up in Missouri. <clears throat> and um, we as a family, immediate family had been praying that we might, Joy and I might have an opportunity to share the Lord with the people back there, some of our family. And that was six months before. And I kind of shared this story with men's, at men's breakfast, so I'm not going to go into all the details, but six months before, we're praying that we might have an opportunity to share the Lord with my family, and so my family in Missouri were all out to dinner together in a big in a restaurant, which is right in the middle of the restaurant. And my cousin Donald, great big farm boy, he sits there and said, you asked me about being baptized? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, well, I didn't give you a good answer, but I, I got baptized because there was these couple of little preacher boys came around and um, they wanted me to pray, pray a prayer with them. And so I did to get rid of them. And I got to thinking about that a little bit. And, and then tears started coming down his face. And he said, that day changed my life. That day I came to know the Savior. And then, now, we're, now Donald's sharing this right in the middle of the restaurant with everybody listening. And then he says, I, I figured I needed to get baptized. So I called the preacher up down at Little Edinburgh Church there, and I said, I, 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 I got to get baptized. And I said, well, Don, we can do it down in the farm pond next Sunday. He said, that'd be great. And the preacher said, do you want me to bring a chair? No, no, you can just baptize me in the farm pond. So they get down there, and they wait out, and... Donald shares his testimony, and the preacher shares what he's going to share. And Donald says, and, and he tipped me over, and I went right to the bottom, and he couldn't lift me up. And I darn near drowned getting baptized. <laughs> and they had to get another guy in there to hoist me out. <laughs> Six months earlier, we're praying that we would have an opportunity to share the Lord with them. And my cousin Donald shares the Lord right in this restaurant with everybody. I mean, is God good or what? Working behind the scenes. I wish, <laughs> I wish he could have been there. He's got most of his teeth. <laughs> and he's about that big and about that wide. <clears throat> and you know, there are city people and there's, rural, uh, there's uh, people like here and then there's rural people and then there's backwoods people. And then there's my cousin Donald. And he knows the Lord, and we're brothers, and we're going to spend eternity together. I love that guy. I love what he said and what he did that day. In the midst of our trials, we've got to remember, God wants to give us peace. It's only going to come, family, from knowing this, that in the midst of the tragedies like yesterday, in the midst of the trials that we're all going through in some form or another, God is doing something good. And someday... We're going to understand it when we're with him. So be of good cheer, because he's overcome the world. And we can have hope in that.
What about peace with others? Well, we have a command, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, okay? But some of them are real jerks. And then the Lord says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And I think what he's saying to us is, you know, don't be vengeful. I mean, don't in, in your spirit be vengeful, but just realizing that God is just. <clears throat> God is just. And we may not see it right now, but God is working things out somehow, and he's just. And then he goes on to say, and this is the key for keeping peace, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. It's been my experience that if you're going to have peace in your life, you've got to be willing to give up. You've got to be willing to give up. You've got to be willing to say, fine, that's fine. Have it your way. Have it your way. The other option is you're going to fight and you're not going to have peace. The story of the pipeline that I shared with you a minute ago, I don't have to deal with that man. We have peace in the valley. There is no war going on. And we've got water and we can share it because of the work we did. Joseph was in just the right position at the right time to bring peace. Were you in that? You know, do you, in your spirit, do you feel you just always got to be in charge? In your spirit, do you just say, I got to have it my way all the time? When you start having adult children, you realize you don't have your way hardly any of the time because everything runs on their schedule. So somebody asks, you know, we've got family coming in for Christmas. We do. When are they coming? Not exactly sure, because there's a lot of other circumstances going on. We think we've got it narrowed down, but it's okay. There's a peace in going, I don't have to be in charge. You know why? Because the Lord is, and he's working all things together for good. That is a great hope and a great testimony of God's goodness to us. So I close with this from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know why that's true, family? Is because what did our Savior do? What did Jesus do? He came to serve us. He came to give his life for us. He came to be the sacrifice for us. He considered us more important than being with his heavenly father and willingly came to earth to die on that cross. They obviously didn't stay there. We serve a risen savior. But he came to suffer for us. Blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called the sons of God. It's those that are willing to give up of themselves to serve others that make peace. You're never going to have peace if you've got to have it your way. 
You only have peace by giving up and trusting the Lord. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Dan, you're up.